I'm Dr. Ramjan Sen at the School of English on the side of English Language and Linguistics. I'm currently the Director of English Language and Linguistics and I am a senior lecturer specialising in phonology and psycholinguistics and phonetics and historical linguistics. I teach at level three. I teach a five-year course on psycholinguistics, psychology of language. I teach a second-year course on phonology. My, my main area of teaching is phonology, so I teach a course on phonology, and in the first year I teach some introductory phonetics and phonology and anything to do with the sounds of language. And in the final year, I'm interested in psycholinguistics. I teach a course there, which is about how language works in the mind, and that's all aspects, whether that's sentence structure or sound structure or the words we use. I also teach some historical linguistics, which is a second-year course, and that's uh, I focus there on on the sounds of the language and how sound change occurs. And that's my main area of research. I work at the intersection of phonology, that sounds, how sounds work in languages, sound structure of languages and how sounds work in the mind. I work at the intersection of phonology and historical linguistics and also aspects of psycholinguistics, how language is processed by the mind, and phonetics, the properties of those sounds, how they're made and how they sound, their acoustic properties. And my research, it's one of the jobs of linguistics to work out what the unconscious rules of language are, what's going on in the mind without us knowing about it. And my particular area of interest is how those unconscious rules affect sound change. Sound change is how languages change in the way they sound over time. But we're all aware of this, and even watching an old film from a few decades ago can sound quite outlandish. When this goes on for a few centuries, outlandish becomes impenetrably alien. But it's still not clear what drives sound change, and how sound change is constrained and guided. What I'm particularly interested in is what relative loads of phonetics, that's say the mouth and the ears, are, and the mind are. So I'm particularly interested in what role mental linguistic structure, these unconscious rules of language, this unconscious knowledge that all speakers have of language, what role that plays in guiding and constraining sound change. I'm particularly interested in this model called the life cycle model, which suggests that when languages change, each individual change has its own life story. It starts off a bit more to do with the mouth and the ears and listening and speaking, like a long game of Chinese whispers and misperceiving and misarticulating. But then over time, it becomes more and more to do with the mind and what rules are involved. For example, if uh, we start saying sing rather than sing, which happened several centuries ago, we're then more likely to say singer rather than singer, which is a change that happened several centuries ago. So at some point in the 18th century, people might have said sing, but singer. But then over time that became sing and singer in the standard RP English. And we know that that didn't happen in a word like finger. That didn't become finger because there wasn't an equivalent thing. And so that shows us that these patterns of language, these patterns and rules played a part in how language changed in the way they sounded over time. I'm also, I mean, I'm interested in several languages. I'm interested in how language with a capital L changes over time. So just sound change rules, sound change principles in any language. But of course, I have to choose some languages to work with to get my data. The languages I've worked with mainly in the past have been Latin and ancient languages and old Romance languages, but I've also started working a lot on older forms of English, and notably 18th century English, and I've been heavily involved. I'm one of the coordinators of the 18th century English phonology database project, which reconstructs pronunciations from 18th century English on the basis of pronouncing dictionaries which became very popular around then as people became more and more interested in what's been labelled the snob value of a good pronunciation. And reconstructing pronunciation from this time is, is really exciting based on evidence from that sort of thing, but also from things like substandard light writing and 
pauper letters, people who haven't been fully, who haven't got full training in how to spell words and things like that, trying to write and therefore writing phonetically. And that can be used in any time period. And I use that sort of evidence a lot for Latin as well. For example, in Pompeii, everything's been frozen in the first century AD because of the eruption of Mount Vesuvius. So we find lots of graffiti spelt um, using phonetic spelling of Latin which is really, really helpful to people like us and really exciting when you go and see it. So uh, on the 18th, on 18th century English, it's something that's not only exciting in its own right, but something that could be implemented when we start doing 18th century plays. Um, and we can start thinking about doing 18th century plays in original pronunciation, as has been done in work by people like David Crystal for Shakespearean plays in original Shakespearean pronunciation. And that's something that might interest the wider community of not only theatre goers, but people who are interested in putting on these productions and schools who are interested in combining all the aspects of a time period when looking at um, the literature and the, the culture that the art produced at that time to give a more immersive experience. I would welcome students who are interested in any aspect of phonology, whether that's historical phonology, that's uh, very broadly defined, whether that's how languages change or a particular language changes in the way they sound over time, or, or just looking at a synchronic state and all the state of a language at a snapshot in time. Alternatively, I'm also interested in any students interested in synchronic phonology in the present day. So language, a snapshot in time in the mind of a speaker or the minds of a community of speakers. Uh, there's lots of work to be done across the world's languages, uh, including English, um, reconstructing and discovering what's going on in the mind of a speaker um, at any given point. The kind of data I'm, well, I welcome students to use range from the old books and paper in, in the library, reconstructing evidence from the sort of thing I've been talking about, like uh, old spellings and graffiti and dictionaries and literature and, and comments of ancient grammarians and <laughs> things like that. But I also welcome students who want to work using other sources of evidence. And I'm currently doing a project which involves laboratory evidence in order to investigate the cognitive underpinnings of the mental aspects of sound change. And I welcome any PhD students interested in doing anything experimental as well. So yes, anyone interested in using some traditional historical sources, as well as large-scale corpora, uh, which have come about in recent uh, decades, and also experimental work. I'm interested in any aspect of phonology, whether that's phonology's interface with phonetics, or psycholinguistics, or historical linguistics, or indeed child language acquisition, or second language acquisition. I would welcome anyone um, looking at those areas. <laughs>